1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start reading verse number 11. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. And having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We'll just stop right there just for a second. So this is sort of the theme of the rest of the chapter and then going into chapter number three that Peter tells us who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, the blessings that we have in him. And he said, so dearly beloved, strangers and pilgrims, abstain from the lusts that war against your soul and then have your conversation among the Gentiles honest. Live an honorable life among the people that you're sojourning uh, through. So we are not, we are in the world, but not of the world. So live in a way in which um, they, they'd have to lie about you in order to, to say something wrong um, or contrary to you. So then he goes on in verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or the governors or as them that are sent by him for the punishment of the evildoers, for the praise of them that do well, for this, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So we are to submit ourselves to the, the ordinances, the government, the laws of the land. And we are, we are free in Christ, but we're not to use this freedom that we have in Christ as a cover to live a wicked life. So we honor all men. We, we uh, show respect to the, and the, the dignity of, a, of human beings to all people. That we love our brothers and sisters. We fear God and we honor uh, the king. But we do, with all that in mind, submit to those uh, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now, verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For as you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So Peter starts with the large scope, obey the law of the land. And he, you know, the, the king and the as supreme or the, the people in authority. And now he narrows the scope to another realm or sphere of, of authority, and that would be 
just the daily life of servants and masters, or we might say the workplace. Uh, and why do we do that? Well, people, there's the tendency that people will um, be overcome by the good that you do to them. So uh, my mom used to say, uh, kill them with kindness, that kind of um, a proverb that you do good unto those who do evil, um, that that they may see the good. And Jesus says, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. But Jesus tells us the principle of this truth in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Um, we, we think of this. Well, let's just read it first. And then um, Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. So there's the principle of, of we are to, to submit and do right, no matter what the other person is doing to us. And to him that smiteth thee on the, the one cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that ask of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask him not again. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do the same. And if you lend to them whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And ye shall be like the children of the highest, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. So um, we see what Peter's driving at. Uh, we see the, the words here of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, that we are to do good to them which do us evil. We're to love our enemies because it's what God tells us to do. We're to love our enemies because that's what God does. He loved us who were his enemies. We're to love our enemies because we're the children of our Father. We're to love our enemies and do it for the glory of God and that we might convict sinners. And we are to do it that they may be over, they may, we may overcome their prejudice against us and stop their mouths who might speak, speak evil against us. Because Jesus said, you know, even the sinners love those that love them. If you do good to people, you know, people will appreciate that. And so, Peter is drawing from that, I believe, for saying that you will shut the mouths of those who speak evil of you by your good works. That you glorify your Father in heaven. But it also... Um, perhaps overcome the prejudices that people would have against, um, against us for our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we don't have to do word studies and dig down to find out what the point of this is. You might say, well, this is servants and masters, and, and you know, we don't have servants and masters. Well, the, the principle of this is still the same. You have one person who has a job, and you have another person that is supposed to do the job. Um, you can dig down and see that this is sort of like a house servant. 
And um, in the Roman times, you could either be a slave by being conquered, so you could um, be in a country that the Romans go in and conquer and make you their slave, or you could uh, sell yourself into um, an agreement with somebody and agree to work with them for a period of time, and you would be their servant, and they'd be your master. So you go into a contract with somebody. So not much different than um, employment today. You sort of enter into a contract with somebody. You agree to, to give your time for a certain period uh, of the day, and they agree to give you a certain amount of money for your time. Um, when I worked for AT&T, they had, a, um, they had uh, six weeks of orientation. Now, they drilled that into your head for those six weeks. They said, you belong to us from... The time you start your shift to the time you go home, you belong to us. And he said, I don't care what's going on at home, and I don't care what's, um, if your kids are sick, and I don't care if this, that, and the other. And he said, because you belong to us during that time. So uh, they, were pretty, they were pretty ruthless about that, but they were just driving the point home, you know, that you know, no skipping work and, and that kind of thing. You, when you come here, you come here to work. Well, that is... What I mean, what kind of difference is that between this kind of relationship there? Um, so we can take the um, application of this is is whenever you work for somebody, you're under the employment of somebody, then uh, they have a certain amount of authority over you. So what are, how are we supposed to act? Well, Peter says uh, to submit, to do what we are asked to do. Well, you said... Uh, you might think, well, you said to honor all men, and then you're going to turn around and say a servant has to submit to his master, or uh, an employee has to submit to his boss. Now, how can you honor all men and then turn right around and say uh, you have to you have to submit? Well, we're all born um, flesh and blood. And we all live and we all die, and whether you're a poor man or a rich man. Um, we've only got a certain amount of days on this earth, and we're all going to die and turn back to dust. We're born sinners by nature and sinners by choice, and so we are, to a certain extent, um, well, we are just equal. There's not one man that's better than another, um, not one person that is above another in the sense of just being a human being. But that doesn't mean all men are of equal ability or equal means, or equal power, or equal influence. And so, um, in this life, Jesus said, you always have the poor with you, and so you, if you always have the poor, you always have the rich, and you always have people that have work to be done, and you always have people who need work. You have people who have um, money to, to spend on their, uh, their business, and then you'll have people who need money and will work um, and exchange their time and their uh, skills for that money. So it's always going to be like that. It's always going to be this kind of relationship. And since the person is paid for the time, the, the person being paid does what they're told in the fear of the Lord. So you might think, you know, people have been fighting about labor and, and that kind of thing for a long time. And they'll say, well, everybody's equal, and, and the person who owns the company ought not to make more than the people who are working. Well, um, that's not how the Scripture lays this out. You know, the, the, the person that 
has all the risks and the person that has the money and the person that has the capital and the person that has the ideas and, and owns the business, they're the ones that, that, are, that are oftentimes putting all the risk out there. And, and so they have the risk, they have the money, then you know, that, that is their business. And so they, they make a deal with people and then if people agree to that other end of the bargain and say, well, I'll pay you so many dollars an hour if you'll do this work for me. And if the person says, I'll take it, then they've agreed to that that bargain. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us that everybody uh, that everybody has to be equal in all things. What the Bible does tell us is that in this relationship, that there is a certain amount of authority there, and God's people respect the authority that God has set up. So we don't go out and be social justice warriors and, and try to, to make everything equal for everybody, do we? That's not what the scripture says. That we're not trying to make to where, um, you know, the guy that takes out the trash at the Tesla factories makes as much money as Elon Musk makes. Because they, they're both uh, human beings and, uh, and have a dignity as human beings. Well, no, one person has more um, value to the company than the other one, right? So that, the, the scripture doesn't tell us that, that we should do away with this, but the scripture tells us how we are to live in these uh, situations. So whether you have the job that you're hiring somebody for, then you answer to God, or if you have the job, then you answer both to God and to, to, the, to the one you're, you're working for. This is the will of God, both for, for master and servant or employee, employer, employee. In 1 Timothy chapter number 6, We'll look at a few verses here. And it's interesting how many times in the Scripture, in the New Testament, this is reiterated. Uh, just the same principle over and over. Probably because this is something that, speaking for myself personally, that kind of hard, to, it's a hard pill to swallow. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved and partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. And if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which he is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmises. So Paul told Timothy, he said, I want you to be preaching this, that the employees who are, or the servants under their, their masters, they're worthy of honor, meaning that, that they are to do the job that they're given. So God, the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And because what if you have, you know, if that doesn't happen, then he says the name of God may be blasphemed. And he said, if you're a believer, then you better treat those who work for you as believers and not treat them um, as beneath you, but rather you do them service. So in this regard, um, a Christian boss or a Christian employee ought to not treat or take advantage of uh, the people that they hire. So... The best boss that you should ever have is it should be a Christian, because they will they 
they shouldn't take advantage of you or 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 tear you down or or you know yell at you or, or whatever the case may be but they should treat you as as a brother and so it should be that uh, relationship of mutual honor honor all men so that's what he, that's what uh, Paul is getting at here it's not unlimited obedience so just like the government it, um, you know, we obey the government and the laws of the land as far as they uh, go, coincide with the laws of God. So if the government tells us we have to bow down and worship an idol, well, of course, we wouldn't do that, right? That is contrary to the word of God. If the government says you can't preach about Jesus anymore, or there are certain things in the Bible you can't preach about anymore, then we, we're just going to disobey the government. The government doesn't have authority over God, but if... If the law of the land goes along or doesn't contradict the law of God, whether we like it or not, um, God tells us to, to obey it. And so it's the same thing with uh, an employer. Um, you know, if you're told to lie, then the servant, the employee, has to obey God and say, I will not lie. And um, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure some of you've had to do that before, and um, you know, I, I've had to I've had to do that before, and you know they be told to do something. So I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm not going to lie for you. You can get somebody else to, to do the job, but I'm not going to lie um, for the company, or I'm not going to cheat anybody. I'm not going to to steal from anybody. Uh, I I worked for a company one time. They try and get you to sell stuff to the the. The customers, but it was just—I mean, it was just a, a, a scam what they were selling, and it, it was bad for the customer, and it was just a worthless product. But all they—they they wanted you to push it. At. Well, I, I wouldn't do it. And they said, "Well, you, you have to." And I said, "Well, I'm not going to cheat these people. This this product doesn't do anything, and and you, you're taking advantage of people." Well, that's how we have to be. We we cannot obey. You know, even if it costs you your, your job, you cannot obey, or you cannot disobey God. But it's the same principle as long as, as long as um, it is within the bounds of Scripture. It's the principle for God's children. So in um, Titus chapter two, so we're, we're close by um, Titus. Let's look at that one. Titus chapter two and verse nine. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them. Well, in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. So there you have it again that that your how you live adorns the, the doctrine that you believe. And so you have be honest, be hardworking, be faithful is what God has called his people to do. Um, Colossians chapter number three. So I'm just going to read all these scriptures. Uh, Colossians 3.22 Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So you're not to be a man pleaser. You're not to, to do everything just to uh, you know, get on somebody's good side. Um, nobody likes a man pleaser, right? 
You know, nobody likes a, a yes man, and that's not what God has called us to do. So we're not to just be uh, yes men and just uh, do everything just to please the man, but we are to please Christ. And so as we serve Christ, we can... God is not calling us to be the servants of men, but he's calling us to be his servant. And then we, as we please Christ, we, we do so in the fear of the Lord, um, you know, uh, doing, doing our job. And last one in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So there's the relationship that, that we serve Christ by serving others. And so I'm the pastor of this church, and, and I'm not the, the servant of the church. I'm the servant of Christ, and as I serve Christ, I serve you. And that, that is how God would have us to, to live. We are servants of Christ, and the way that we serve Christ is that we serve one another. And we do so not as man pleasers, and not as to the Lord and not to men. So you wouldn't want me to be a man pleaser tonight. You wouldn't want me to to uh, just say, well, that, you know, do a Greek study and say, well, this is not what this really means, and and find some easier uh, way to look at this so we could we could uh, swallow it a little easier. Um, that's not that's not what you would want me to do. But you would want me to be your servant, to, to tell you the truth um, as I, or serve you rather, by telling you the truth as I serve Christ. And that's the principle for everybody. The, just remember that Christ is your Lord, and we, we serve him. Well, Ephesians 6, 9, be a perfect situation. You have a Christian boss who forbears threatening who knows that Christ is his master, that he respects, uh, he, respect, he doesn't respect persons, meaning he, he treats everybody equally and everybody fairly and everyone good, and then the employee um, does the same and just be a wonderful relationship. But that's not the world that we live in, is it? We live in a world where um, there's always conflict. We live in a world of conflict and suffering. We live in a world where um, employers know they have the power and they take advantage of the people who don't. We also live in a world where employees can do the same thing the other way around. So now we're in a situation, kind of an odd situation, where um, nobody can find anybody to work. And so that puts the stress the other way around. Um, there's places that have been looking to fill positions um, for over a year and they, they, they just can't find anybody to work. I know one place in particular that has been trying to just, nobody will even answer the, the resume or put in their resume for the position. Uh, nobody just even applied for it. And so um, I saw where uh, Joe Manson said that they're going to have to, people are going to have to move to West Virginia because 
they're bringing all these job, this, these uh, factories in and so forth, and there's nobody wants to work apparently. Well, that that puts the the power sort of with the employee since they're the the hot commodity. If there's uh, there's jobs to be had and nobody's wanting to work, well, it's a power struggle, right? Back and forth. Instead of um, but in, in Christ's way of doing things, we submit to Christ. We do what we're supposed to, regardless of the situation. But we live in a time of, of conflict. And this is the whole point of the text. You and I, as God's children, we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. Uh, we have a home in the heavenly country, but we still have to eat, don't we? We still have to, to put food on the table. So Peter tells us what to do if we have a wicked, um, a wicked boss. Well, first of all, he says um, that we to, to submit um, to do the job is praiseworthy. So um, in verse 19, he said, "For this is a thankworthy, for this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully." So for conscience towards God. So this is how you you frame this with conscience towards God. You think of God and his grace towards us. You think about the situation in terms of who we are in Christ and what we've been given. You think about it in the right perspectives. So this is the grounds for our submission because of our conscience towards God. So we wake up and we, we uh, do the work uh, for the glory of God. Then it says we submit enduring grief. Because he says, what glory is there, what benefit, what honor to God is there if you do the wrong thing and then you get in trouble for it? But it's thankworthy and it's acceptable. And that's the same word, the same Greek word. It's thankworthy and acceptable. It's pleasing to God when we do the right thing to a small L Lord with our eyes towards the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord when we do the right thing by the lowercase Lord, the, the one who um, you do the job for. Even when they don't deserve it, and especially when they don't deserve it, is the point here. And we can make all kinds of qualifications. I know. Yes, Lord, but this and that. But, but this is the plain teaching, uh, plain teaching of Scripture. So I'm an at-will employee, and uh, I made an agreement, and they can fire me any time. They don't have to have a reason to if they don't want to. They can, just, they can just let me go, and I agreed to that, right? So that's that's the agreement. But the other way goes around, too, so I can also quit anytime I want to. You know, I didn't sign a contract where I have to work. So, you know, my point is it's not exactly the same as – Back in the Roman times where uh, the slave didn't have the opportunity to go find someplace else or, or go to a better job. You know, we have those freedoms and, and by all means, you have those liberties. Use the law, use the um, liberty that you have to go and, and better yourself or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's just the principle that we're, we're laying down here. It's the principle. So, um, you know, I'm all for people doing better by themselves. We just need to think of the principles here of how we are to live in a wicked world because this is what we were called to. 
Verse 21, for even hereunto were ye called. This is your mission. This is what God has called you for. We're called to suffer hardships. We're called to endure hardships. Now, I'll tell a story on me. Um, it took a long time for me to, to grasp this truth. And I read all those scriptures, and um, you thought that I would have um, understood those scriptures, but it, it, took, it took the, the long-suffering and patience of our Lord to teach me these truths. Um, and then it really drills home whenever you get married and you have kids and, and you start thinking about things a little bit differently. But, but, you know, I remember many times working in different places whenever I was single and I was just taking care of myself. And, you know, I get hot-headed about something and I won't let anybody tell me what, you know, that nobody's going to tell me what to do. And, if, you know, I'd, I get uh, to my shame, right? I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't listen and, and uh, so forth. Well, this uh, this passage convicted me. I, I remember I remember working there one time, this particular place, and oh, I was mad about something. It was probably something silly. I was mad, I, but um, I remember this verse. This verse kept coming to my mind, and well, I was ashamed of myself. Now, what kind of what what did I do? Um, you know the way I was acting because of this. So, um, what do you do in that situation? Right? No one, uh, you know, what do we do? Well, we try to glorify our Lord. Why do we do that? Because we have an example. So let's think about this for a second. Um, submit yourselves. Servants be subject to your masters. Now what is that? Well, that's a command, isn't it? That, that's something God tells us to do. That's a law. Now are you justified by the law? Well, no, you're not justified by the law, are you? This is what the Lord would have us to do. Well, what if I messed up? Well, verse 21. For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us. Now, there, there's the law. So I lived many years, and I didn't obey this verse, and many times I didn't do this. So what was it that, that broke me and broke my heart about this? was that part, was that um, Christ suffered for me. That Christ died in my place. Well, why did he die in my place? Well, he died in my place because I was a sinner. He died in my place because I can't keep the law. Because I didn't do everything right. Because I didn't submit to every ordinance of man. I didn't submit... Um, and to my boss, I didn't submit unto the law of God. I had broken God's law. A sinner. But then I remembered Christ suffered for me. And the reason he did that is because I'm a sinner. Sometimes we think, in terms of the gospel, we say Christ dies for sinners. Well, he died for Christians too. Christ forgives the sins of sinners, but he also forgives the sins of Christians. It's not that Christ died for the sins of for lost people, then once you're saved, you're on your own. No, he, he, he died for us, didn't he? That's what it says. He died for our sins. And so, we see what we're supposed to do. Well, what if I don't? Well, Christ suffered for us. There's the gospel. And so, how do you react to that? 
How do you react to know that Christ suffered for you? That he washed you clean from all your sins? Well, you follow in his steps. For here until you recall, there's the law. Because Christ suffered for us, there's the gospel. Leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. And there is how we live in, in gratitude. We follow the steps. Because he saved us, because he took our place, we're now to free, we're now free to follow his example. And if we mess up, then we ask God to forgive us and then we press on. Our sins are forgiven. And we just go on and, and do the best we can the next time. Is it permissible? You know, are we condoning sin? Of course not. But, but this is how Peter wants us to, to think about these things. To, to fear God and remember what he did for you. And not to, to, to always look backwards. But to, if we're going to look backwards, it should be to Calvary. And look forward to him and, and follow him in gratitude. And say, well, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Now I've learned, the Holy Spirit has taught me. He's sanctifying me. Because in our flesh there is no good thing, right? And it is the, the Spirit of God that sanctifies us and teaches us and guides us. And so, when the Lord teaches us something or shows us something, we thank Him for His mercy, we thank Him for His salvation, and we follow His steps. We just we, we trust in His forgiveness and we follow His steps. Because look what He did for us. So Peter said, you're called to suffer. He said, yeah, but I know this is bad. This is this is not a good situation. Yes, but this is what we've been called to. Why well, can't I don't like that? Well, you've been called to follow your Lord. Think about what our Lord did for you. Think first think what he did not do for you. Verse 22 is a list of things he did not do. He did not sin. He did not sin with his mouth. He was reviled and he did not revile again. He did not threaten when he was suffered. All those things that he did not do. All the sufferings Christ endured. All the reviling and he didn't revile again. All they suffered and he didn't threaten. But what did he do? Well, he, he did commit himself to him that judgeth righteously. So whenever they... Uh, when he suffered, when he was reviled, when he was beaten, when he was blasphemed, when he was falsely accused, when he was falsely judged, when he was despised, Christ committed himself to the Father and knew that he judgeth righteously. Those that judged him didn't judge righteously, but he said, but, but Christ knew, knew the Father would judge righteously. They called him a blasphemer, but he knew that the Father would judge righteously. They called him, called him a, a traitor, but he knew that God would judge righteously. They called him a false Christ, a false Messiah, a false king, but he knew that God the Father would judge righteously. And the Father did judge righteously. Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb, laid down his life for us, and he rose from the dead. The wages of sin is death. And if Christ had sinned, he would have remained in the grave. But the Father judged righteously. 
So, Peter says, follow the example of Christ. Put things in perspective. Zoom out from the situation. We might, we might say to, to disengage from the, the situation. I was reading a book um, written by um, a Navy SEAL, and he's talking about how to, to get through tough times, and that's what they learned um, in battle. He said you have to sort of disengage from the situation, just step, step aside for a second and think about it from uh, like you were thinking about it from an outsider, like it wasn't you going through it, like it, it was somebody else. And, and he would say just look at it from the outside or try to. And, and disengage just for a second and, and think of the big picture. Well, that's what um, we're being called to do. Think about what Christ did for us and think about what he endured. And then with conscience towards God and what he has called us to, you know, get back, get back into it. He's a substituting Savior. So he's a, he suffered for our account. He's a suffering Savior. He's a substituting Savior. Verse 24, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, who by him were created, or in heaven, in earth, visible, invisible, thrones or dominion, principality or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Jesus Christ, who is before all things and by whom all things consist. Jesus Christ, who is the head of of the body of the church, who is the firstborn from the dead, and that all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ, in his own body, in his own self, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. The Lord of glory suffered, humbled himself in this regard for you. Did he deserve it? No. Did, was he treated poorly? Yes, he was. Was he lied about? Yes, he was. Was he condemned? Yes, he was. Um, did he do any wrong? No. But he did this for you. For your sins. And so I, I like this because Peter is telling us what we need to do, but then he just breaks out into, into the gospel. That the Peter's not very far from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would be that we'd all be like this. Um, and we can get, we can get very uh, trapped in, in lists and do's and don'ts, but, but even when Peter's telling us something hard, he, always, he brings us right back to the gospel. Um, you notice that he kind of, he'll go from one thing to another, but he always comes back to the, to the gospel. Um, he always comes back to, to Christ saving us. He'll tell us what to do, then he comes back to Christ. He, he gives us a command here, then brings us back to the gospel. And so he just breaks out into um, a remembrance and praise of Jesus Christ who, who bore our sins in his own body. Christ didn't lay his hands on an animal that would bear the sins away. He didn't take an animal to the altar, but he bore our sins. He took our sins in his own body. There on the cross, there in the tree. Not in the garden, as the Mormons believe, and not in the fires of hell, as some Baptists believe, but on the cross. 
It's very plain here that he bore our sins in his own body here on the tree. He was made sin who knew no sin for us. And there on the cross, he bore our sins. He took our punishment. He paid what was due and, and bore the punishment of those sins. Christ substituted himself, took our place. And instead of me being punished for my sins, Christ uh, took that, um, took, bore my sins and paid the debt. That's the Savior we have. That's the Savior who, who bore our sins and, and freed us from the dead of the law. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. First I was dead in sins. Now, thanks be to Christ, I'm dead to sins. And I live unto righteousness. For the first time, we can live unto righteousness. You know, before Christ, we can't live unto righteousness because the law condemns us. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We can't do anything. But after the Christ saves us, when we are in Christ, we should live unto righteousness. That's what he is called to do. So when we have sinned, he has forgiven us and now has given us freedom and liberty and that imputed righteousness so that we can live unto, his right, unto righteousness. We are righteous because, of, because Christ is righteous and we have his righteousness um, imputed to our account. By his stripes we were healed. The suffering Savior, the cost, was great unto the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's free to all who believe and receive Christ as Savior. It's all of grace. We don't work for it. We don't have to earn it. Uh, it's not like we are a servant that has to, to obey the Master, and in order to obey the Master, we have to, you know, we get... Uh, get paid to earn these blessings. I heard someone say that the other day, that, that that's how Christians are. We, we, we work in order to earn uh, God's, God's favor. Well, that's not the grace of God. That Christ Jesus, um, uh, it was by his stripes we are healed, we are cleansed. It was by his suffering, the wrath of God um, in, the, in the place of sinners that we are healed. By his death we have life, by his bruising we have healing, by his suffering we have peace, and by his work we have rest. And then lastly, we see that he is a shepherd to us. For ye were as sheep going astray, but now return unto the bishop, or the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I was a lost sheep wandering, as the song goes, out all alone, and here comes the shepherd. The good shepherd didn't leave me alone, but he came and he sought me. And he came and, and he brought me into his fold. I was lost in sin, lost in the world, lost and away from God. But the good shepherd came and rescued me, saved me, protected me, and brought me into his fold. And now I'm with him, and now I stay close to the shepherd. And if I start to get out of the way a little bit, the shepherd brings me back. And... If I go away out of the way, Lot, he'll bring me back. He might chase me a little bit to, to, to get me back on the wrong, right track. But he bought me. I belong to him. I didn't choose him. He chose me. 
I didn't save myself. He saved me. I don't keep myself. He keeps me. And there my good, the good shepherd watches over me. And so whether it's a bad government or a bad boss, I have a better Lord. I have a better Lord. He is the bishop of my soul. You know what a bishop is? Well, that's one word that they use for pastors. It's an overseer. It's like a foreman. We might think in the workplace. An overseer. So Peter says, yes, in the world, you might have a bad overseer. But your real overseer, your real pastor, your real bishop, your real shepherd, died for you, saved you, loved you, suffered for you, committed himself to you, gave you his righteousness, healed you by his stripes, came and rescued you when you went astray, brings you back into the fold. In times past, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. He is watching over you. He's caring for you. He's protecting you. You're not going to lose that, what he's given you. He's not going to stop loving you. He's not going to stop um, protecting you. You are his. You are kept and protected. Now with this gratefulness, let us go on and day by day live with grateful attitudes. We suffer knowing that we are bought with a price, free and clear from sin, the punishment of sin, kept and protected, and we don't belong to any man. We don't serve any man. We don't serve um, any, any man, even a king. We don't serve them. We, we are under the watchful eye and care of the good shepherd and the mighty bishops of our soul. And because my shepherd, and because my bishop, because my Lord, because my master says, follow me, follow my footsteps, then with gratitude I'll do it for him. It's a lot easier to do it for him than it is to do it uh, for anybody else. We'll pray the Lord would would bless and um, help and pray that the Lord would give us grace. and Good reason to pray for one another, isn't it? Good good way to pray. um, Pray for you you that are retired can can pray for those who are not. Those who will be entering the workforce soon. um, pray, Pray. Pray for each one. All right, well, let's stand and be dismissed the word of prayer. I ask Brother Delbert to dismiss some prayer.